All right, we're in Proverbs 4 today. So we are continuing the series. And Proverbs 4, intentionally planned for this moment of this semester as we jump back into the sermon series, The Way of Wisdom. Uh, this is the actual chapter where that title comes from, where it talks about the way of wisdom. And so we'll get into that. As we look at this today, we see the words of Solomon. Solomon in our first section references when he was young. And so he talks about the wisdom that was given to him, which comes from David, as we know. So today, as we look at this chapter, we're not just seeing the wisdom of Solomon, but we are seeing also the wisdom of David passed down to Solomon. Perhaps it's the reason that Solomon asked the Lord for great wisdom when the Lord asked him what he would desire. But even more important than that, These are the inspired words of the Holy Spirit to us today for our lives, for our enrichment, for our instruction and reproof. And so these words come to us from the Father, capital F, the Heavenly Father. So as we look at this, I have titled the sermon today, The Father Knows Best. We look here at intentional communication from a father to a son. I can't help but think about the verse that we heard last week, Psalm 145, 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I think about 2 Timothy 2, 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This generational passing of wisdom from those who have lived life to the next generation and trusting that wisdom and trusting that gospel message, that biblical worldview to the next generation who then has a stewardship of hearing that message, receiving that message, making sure they can own and then communicate that message to the next generation. So today I hope to commend to you truths out of Proverbs chapter four that then you have a stewardship to commend to the next generation. So as you look at this text, you don't just look at this text selfishly as what can it do for me right now in this moment? It's what can I learn from this text so that I can then teach and train the next generation so that there is a continual legacy of gospel witness, a continual legacy of standing for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Just as we teach our sons and our daughters to do all sorts of things, we must teach and train about the gospel. The really important things of life that you have to teach your kids, how to eat without spilling food everywhere. Some of you may still be struggling with that. We'll know today after lunch. How to properly tie your shoe. How many of you remember learning how to tie your shoe? Chasing that rabbit around and through the hole and however you learned it. The important things. Like how to eat a Dorito without getting your hands all messy. You, you just grab the corner, right? You don't, you don't grab the whole thing, it gets all over you. Or the proper way to eat a Swiss cake roll. You peel the chocolate off the outside before you peel the cake off so that it leaves you with the reward that is that sugary icing in the middle. Important things that you have to teach, like how to throw a football or how to dribble a basketball or any number of other things. And yet we know the most important thing that we will ever teach or train is the gospel. It's a biblical worldview. So today we look at this and I would ask that you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word in Proverbs chapter four. We'll read verses one through nine. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching 
When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Dear Lord, we pray today that we might see in this text wisdom that we would embrace, that we would keep, and that we would guard. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. In our text this morning in Proverbs chapter 4, we have a textual indicator of my sons. My sons occurs here in verse 1, it occurs again in verse 10, and occurs again in verse 20. So that gives us our breakdown of our divisions clearly indicated in the text. So I've got three points for this message this morning. That my sons gives the indicator of the first one. I have titled it, Get Wisdom. That's the first point, Get Wisdom, Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. The second is the way of wisdom. We'll see that indicator, my sons, and then it talks about the way of wisdom and the way of the wicked. And so in Proverbs 4, 10 through 19, we'll look at the way of wisdom. And then our last point for today is to guard your heart. In that last indicator, it talks about my son as well. And it talks about keeping wisdom and keeping it in your heart. So for one sentence of the main idea of the message today would be get wisdom and use it to choose the way of wisdom and guard it all your days. So get wisdom, use it to choose the way of wisdom and guard it all of your days. We look here and we see what verse one says. It says, hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive. This is repetitive. Proverbs is a book that is repetitive. We know from learning that repetition helps us to have things ingrained into our minds, into our hearts, so that we then think with biblical wisdom. And sometimes you may get frustrated, I already know this principle or I already understand this concept, but we go over it again and again and again. And that's, that's intentional because we know that good learning happens with good repetition. And you wanna have something ingrained so much so that you've received it, that you own it, and then you can communicate it. We see repetitive words as this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24, in 2, 2, and 4, 2 here. And then again, we'll see it in 420. We learn by repetition, and we need it. Because our hearts are idol factories that continually produce things that lead us away from the gospel. Our feet and our hands are quick to flee to things that are not glorifying to God. So we have this repetition over and over again. In verse one, it says, be attentive that you may gain insight. And then in verse two, it says, for I give you good precepts. These are not bad precepts. This is good teaching. So do not forsake my teaching. You must receive what is being communicated. You know, it's amazing that a faculty member can go to the front of the class and lecture about something and you can sit in the classroom, but if you're not paying attention, you never learn anything that the faculty member's teaching up front. Sometimes you have those days. You just struggle. You can't pay attention. You're not locked in. You have a thousand things on your mind and you walk out of class and you think to yourself, what did I just learn? And the answer is not a good answer. We have to pay attention. We have to learn what is being communicated to receive it, to accept it, to embrace it. And then it says here, do not forsake it. 
We must not rebel or forsake those truths like the prodigal son seeking temporary, trivial pleasures in this fleeting world, but we must embrace those truths and not forsake those teachings. Solomon here appeals to his own upbringing. When I was a son with my father, tender. You get the idea of a young boy. The only one in the sight of his mother at that time, he says, he taught me and he said to me, and I say to you, this is Deuteronomy 6. This is our commandment. This is what we are to do is to teach our children if God chooses to bless you with children. He said to me, quote, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. And here we see what wisdom offers. Why should I seek to be wise? Well, wisdom offers life in verse 4. Wisdom offers security in verse five and six, and wisdom offers honor in verse seven through nine. Look at what it says. Hold fast to the words, keep those commandments, and live. You have life. You have true life. You have a life that is abundant, that is joyful. It's the way that God intended it. It's not the Christian life should not be all about rules or all about what I can't do or all about a cosmic killjoy. That's not an accurate picture of God. Those are the lies of the evil one to keep you from seeking God. To truly seek God is to know how much God loves you. To truly have your affection set on God is to move away from the things of this world, to see how you can truly live, how you can embrace the good teachings of God, and to live Live life in its fullest, to understand what true joy without regret is. That's wisdom, and that is how we live. Now, notice here what the Father says to the Son. Get wisdom. Can you hear it? It's almost like that loving Father lecture. It's almost like that imperative. It's almost like that passionate appeal to a son or to a daughter to say, get wisdom, get insight. Whatever you do in this life, and it's repeated, we see the repetition of the word get. Go get it. What are you pursuing? What do you want? What's your major goal in life? Get wisdom. Get insight. And he comes right back in verse 7, and he says it again. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Twice it's repeated. So what's important for us to know in this first section is get wisdom. What's important for you in your life is to get wisdom. What's important for me in my life is to get wisdom. Verse six tells us, do not forsake her and she will keep you. There's security there. Love her and she will guard you. More security there. And the do not forsake is one side. We're not to turn away, but we're to love. And love is the other side of that same coin. So we're not to forsake wisdom, but we are to love wisdom. And as we do so, she will keep you and she will guard you. And then in verse seven, we see these words that we have seen before the beginning of wisdom. What does the beginning of wisdom mean? Is it the first thing? Is it a foundation that can be built off of? Is it the most important thing? And the answer to that is yes, it's all three. But probably in this text, it means the most important thing. The most important thing is get wisdom. And then whatever you get, get insight. Now the NIV states it in an interesting way. It says, quote, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Though it costs you all you have, it's expensive. It's costly. It takes time. It takes hard work. It's not easy. And the text tells us whatever it costs you, whatever you have to do, get wisdom. Whatever you have to do, get insight. So we ask, 
the logical question. If getting wisdom is going to give us life, if getting wisdom is going to give us security, if getting wisdom, as verses 8 and 9 says, will exalt us, honor us, give us a graceful garland and a beautiful crown, then I want wisdom. I want insight. How do I get that? How do I go about getting it? Well, the text here doesn't elaborate on that, but we understand how it is. And so here's your application for this particular point. How do you get wisdom? Read your Bible. That's why we have it. It tells us what God has revealed to us for our lives is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. How do you get wisdom? Read your Bible. And I would say this to you. Some of you may not have a plan as to how you study the Word of God. Get a plan. If you have no plan, get a plan. Go through the Bible, read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, have a plan. If you've never had a commitment to read the Bible on a consistent basis, develop a plan. If you've never read through a book of the Bible, pick a book of the Bible and read through it. Just get a plan, do something, all right? If you don't have that time, you just get up late, you've got bad habits, whatever, get ESV Bible on your phone, Uh, get the YouVersion app, do something, listen to it while you're walking from your dorm room to class, while you're walking back, get the Word of God so ingrained in your mind that you begin to love what it's teaching you and what it's telling you so you consistently have the Word of God dwelling in you. Listen to the Word. Study the Word. When you make those trips back home, put in the Bible and listen to it. You can listen to the whole book of Philippians in about 20 minutes. Listen to it over and over again and let those words begin to dwell in you richly. Meditate on and memorize Scripture. You say, well, I've never read my Bible. I, I now got to memorize it. Yeah, if you want to be a follower of Christ. Read your Bible, get a plan, start memorizing Scripture. Start with one verse. Start with 10 verses. Start with Philippians as we go through that with SGA and memorize Scripture. Get a plan. Meditate on and memorize Scripture. Journal, take notes. I encourage you all in here to have a journal, to take notes, to write things down. It helps us to listen. It helps us to focus. I do it. I go back often and look at what some of the chapel speakers have said in my own devotional life, in my own prayer life. I look at those things. It's helpful. Pray and listen to God. Don't just tell God all about your needs or the things you want. Listen to what God may be saying to you. Meditate on scripture. Think about what it says. Surround yourselves with good influences friends, mentors, make sure you're plugged into a local church. Make sure you're talking to some people that are not your same age. Make sure that you have somebody in your life that can invest in your life, that has gray hair, that's been around a few more years than you have. Make sure that you're investing in others and and membership is a great way to do that. Listen to preachers that you enjoy. Listen to music that is uplifting. Read books that challenge you spiritually. Listen to those who have carved a path throughout church history and read what they have said. Their books are still around for a reason. Read those books. Read small chunks if it's thick reading, but invest into your own spiritual life. And remember this, it's about progress, not perfection. If you've never had a consistent quiet time and you begin to try to implement that habit in your life and you have to have that habit before you graduate, If you don't have that habit before you graduate, then you're going to go off the rails once you leave Cedarville because you're going to dry up spiritually. And my commitment to faculty and staff when I interview faculty and staff, and you can ask them, is that they have to have a 90% consistent quiet time, daily consistent quiet time, 90% of the time. We all mess up on occasion, but 90% is the standard because they can't tell you in class to do something that they're not doing themselves. 
have a quiet time. But it's about progress, not perfection. But if you fail to plan, then you have planned to fail. So get a plan. Get a reasonable plan. And then implement that plan with extreme devotion. Verse 10, hear my son. We see our indicator in the text. We're at a second point here. It's the way of wisdom. As we look through this and we talk about the way of wisdom, we'll see another textual point in here with the word stumble that appears in verses 12, verse 16, and verse 19. So we see that the way of wisdom will not cause you to stumble. We see that the way of the wicked not only stumbles, but they cause other people to stumble. And we see that that wickedness stumbles because it's walking around in such darkness, it doesn't even know why it's stumbling. So perhaps if you're living life and you're walking around and you don't have a quiet time and you continually mess up, you're continually stumbling, something's continually going on, it's because you're not seeking God's way, you're seeking the wrong way. So we look, three ways. Verse 10 through 13 is the way of wisdom. Verse 14 through 17 is the way of the wicked. And then 18 and 19 is not a third way, but a summary of those two. So verse 11 here, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. We see it here, uprightness as opposed to stumbling. Verse 12, when you walk, your steps will not be hampered. What does the word hampered mean? When I I first read this word hampered, I thought about a clothes hamper, but that's not what it means. It's not the hamper that you might play basketball throwing dirty clothes into from the corner of your dorm room. Hampered in this context as you're walking means to hinder to impede, to obstruct, to foil, to slow down, to hobble, to delay. You will not be hampered if you walk in the way of wisdom. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. So the way of wisdom in its uprightness is described as a way that would cause you not to stumble. And when I think about stumbling, what does the word stumbling mean? It really means kind of to trip over your own two feet. So some of you in your earlier days, your middle school days, when you were the annoying guys or whatever it may be, you would see your friends walking along and you would reach out your foot and you'd take your foot and hit the back of their foot and cause them to trip. Anybody ever do that? A couple of you admit to it, yeah. Most of us probably did it or had it done to us at some point in time. And when you catch your feet like this and you stumble, you have to catch yourself, otherwise you're gonna fall flat on your face, right? And then everybody laughs. He stumbled. And what this text is telling us is that the way of wisdom is the way that you can run, but you won't stumble. It's telling us that the way of wickedness is a way that stumbles. They don't even know what they tripped over because they're in darkness. It tells us that that way of the wicked is so wicked that they can't only stumble and not know what they stumbled over, but they can't get away or go to sleep at night without causing somebody else to stumble and trip them up spiritually. You can see it in your mind there. It tells us here in verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. And here we see a very important point. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, writes these words to us. And yet what happened towards the end of his life? Faculty, staff, I'm challenged by these words. Students, be challenged by these words. So you get wisdom, so you get insight, so you start off on the path. You, it's, you guard yourself. You don't get prideful so that you might stumble or fall or drift to the left or drift to the right or drift to ways that you shouldn't. But throughout your life, you start well, but you have to finish well. 
How many people do we know throughout their life that end up falling off to the side in one way or another? And here we are commanded and we are told, keep hold of the instruction. Do not let go. Expend great energy to, to maintain it. Be intentional. Be strategic as you hold on to this wisdom. And you think about trying to hold on to somebody. You grab somebody in a pool and you're going to try to put them under and dunk them. It's really hard to hold on to somebody. To hold on to somebody that's trying to get away or wants to get away. That's a difficult, exhausting energy that you put forward and walking through the spiritual life and the way of wisdom, knowing that our souls, knowing that our sinful nature still exists there in part, it still has those tendencies to want to pull us away from God. There's an intentional effort that must be made to stay on the way of wisdom. If you do nothing, you will go downhill and fall. So I challenge all of us, keep hold of it. It transitions here from 10 through 13, talking about the way of wisdom to the negative side talking about the way of the wicked. Listen to the voice of the Father as I read 14 and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the wicked. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it and pass on. Look at the commands. Two imperatives in verse 14 move to four imperatives in verse 15. You have to hear the repetition of this Father and the urgency in his mind. It's perhaps he's telling a son or daughter as they're about to go away to, to, to college in our context or something of that nature. And he says, don't enter the path of the wicked. Avoid that path. Verse, four, verse 15, avoid, do not go, turn away, pass on. There's an urgency here. If we do not enter the path, we don't have to worry about how far down it we travel. If we don't walk on it, we don't have to worry about how far we've gone. If we avoid it, if we do not go on it, if we turn away, if we pass on, you see the redundancy here? You see it increase? I can't help but think about an acorn. Small little acorn that you may like to throw at people or to break open the top and look at. But you plant that small little acorn and you allow it to have time to fester in the right soil and it brings up this sapling. This sapling, which is small and young and, and any boy could grab and bend over or break or, or, or any uh, buck could come along and rub up the tree and kill the tree. But you allow that tree then to grow and to fester and mature into a mighty oak and 10 men can't pull that tree down. And if that tree falls, there's destruction that is left behind. And I would say to you, don't allow the way of the wicked or sinfulness in your own heart to fester and to grow and to become a sapling and to grow into an oak that is in your heart that then you have to overcome. Avoid the way of the wicked. Do not go down it. Look at what it says in verse 16. This is the ultimate messed up world. For they cannot even sleep unless they have done something wrong. This indicates to us the addictiveness of sinful tendencies. They are so addicted in their sinful ways of the wicked, they can't sleep unless they've done something wrong. And then they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. Not only can they not sleep unless they've done sin, committed a sin, but they have to cause other people to sin as well. These are not the people that you want to spend your time with. Evil is addictive. You may think that I can control it, I can handle it, but you give in to one temptation and you start a pattern in life and you give in to another temptation and you think the temptation is too great. If I just give in to it, it'll go away, but it doesn't go away. It only grows stronger and it takes root in your heart and that 
that, temp, that addiction of whatever it may be, then it begins to grow and fester and grow again. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you can't get rid of it, where it has taken root in your heart. And so the urging of the father here is do not go down it. Don't start down that path. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Run away from it. Keep on going. Keep your eyes ahead. Stay away. Now there is grace in the hope of the gospel. If you are here today and you know in your mind you've got this sin issue that you're struggling with, that perhaps you're addicted to, that perhaps you have traveled down the way of the wicked and there's temptation that you're dealing with, there is a way back through the grace of the gospel and through the mercy of Jesus, through saturating our minds and our souls in the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to resist that temptation. But that way will not be easy. It's much easier to never go down that path to begin with. You may have to travel back through the briar bushes to get onto the way of wisdom. You may have to do it, but do it so that you don't go off the cliff of despair at the other end. Sin is an evil master that is never satisfied. And once it destroys you and causes you to stumble, it'll laugh at you and move on to whoever's next without a care in the world. It's the way of wisdom that is the way we should follow. We see here two choices. We see only two choices. So sometimes we may think, oh, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to give in 100% devotion to follow the way of wisdom, but I don't really like what the way of wicked is, says about that. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meander and create my own path through the woods. Well, a path is created by being well-worn by those who have gone before. And the text here doesn't give us a third option. It gives us the option of wisdom or the option of wickedness. And when you think you're charting your own third course, you're gonna wake up one day to realize that you have really just found your way to the way of wickedness because you have refused to follow the way of wisdom. And so as someone who loves you and cares about you deeply, I urge you, get wisdom, get insight, follow the way of wisdom, avoid the way of the wicked, avoid that pain. It gives us a summary here. In 1819, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness, a deep darkness. They do not know that over which they stumble. So if you have an electronic device out right now, I want you to take your electronic device and turn it over or put it on your leg or something or cut it off so there's no light coming from your electronic devices, all right? Everybody got your devices over? If you have a laptop up, close your laptop. Otherwise, we're gonna see a halo glow over your face. Imagine if you can, the deep darkness described here. I can't see you anymore. Are you there? Imagine walking to come find my voice. Would you stumble? Would you trip over a backpack, over a chair, over a step? The deep darkness is the way of the wicked. And yet as the gospel enters our hearts, we begin to see a light that emerges. And in that light that emerges, we begin to see darkness go away. And take your phone now and flip it back over. Turn it on. Turn on your flashlight if you want to. Open up your laptop. And look at what happens if the light of the gospel in each of our hearts coming together shines in our community. We can see. We can see because we're no longer stumbling in the darkness, but the light has begun to develop in our hearts. And now as they bring the lights back up across the whole auditorium, we can see clearly. 
we can see as that dawning occurs, and you see it in your own life. It's that path of the righteousness. It's like the light at dawn. It comes up over the horizon, and then it lights it all. And all of a sudden, we see our path forward as clear as day. And we wonder, why couldn't I see this before? It's because you weren't following the light of the gospel and the wisdom of Scripture. Don't go in the darkness of the way where they stumble over things they do not even know. John 12, 35 says, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. John writes in chapter three, verse 19, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Bad things happen at night, right? Your parents have probably told you that. Stores are robbed, things happen because they like darkness rather than light because you can't see who did it. But John goes on to say, whoever does what is true comes to the light in verse 21. If your heart craves darkness, if it craves being alone, if it craves anonymity, if it craves being away from others where there is no accountability, then I would say to you, take that caution and that urging and mark that as dangerous territory. Beware of the cliffs ahead. We should seek and pursue the light and not the darkness. We should seek and pursue the relationships and the accountability of church membership and the discipleship groups and all of these things and not flee from those relationships. We should cherish brothers and sisters who will speak into our lives and will say to us, have you thought about this? Why are you doing that? Pay attention to your walk. And we move to point number three. We see in verse 20, it says, my son again. Here I've titled this one, guard your heart. Says, my son, be attentive to my words. Repetition, you hear it again. Incline your ear to my sayings. Incline, turn your ear in. What is it that you, you do when it's hard to hear somebody? You're in a noisy environment and you wanna hear what they're saying. And perhaps you're eating at the cafeteria and, and all these people are being loud around, but you're talking to that special someone and you wanna hear all of the words that they have to say. And so you lean in closely, you turn in. Perhaps you cup your ear to indicate, I need you to speak a little louder. I don't wanna miss these words. And this is what the text is saying to us. The father's saying, incline your ear to my saying. Listen closely, lean in. Verse 21, it says, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. And this is where I get guard your heart. Keep them within your heart. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. So guard your heart. Make sure that the desires of your heart are not drifting to things that they shouldn't. And we do this all the time. You hear this wisdom. When you begin a relationship, a mom or dad or somebody close to you may say, guard your heart. You haven't had the DTR yet. You don't know where this is going. Guard your heart. Don't get too involved too quickly. The pridefulness that creeps in when we want an award that is potentially out there for us. Guard your heart. Don't allow those awards to creep into pridefulness in your heart that's sinful. Guard your heart. The materialism, when we see a commercial with something new and we think, I just have to have it. Guard your heart. Don't let those things be what brings you joy. Your satisfaction is to be found in Christ alone. Guard your heart. Why do we guard our heart? The text tells us here. We guard our heart because from it flows the springs of life. So we're told to keep them within our heart. In verse 22, we're told that they are life to those who find them, healing to all their flesh. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. Strong word. For from it flows the springs of life. So how do we keep our heart? Well, fortunately, the text gives us the application here. It's through our words in verse 24. It's through what we watch in verse 25. And it's through our walk in verse 26. 
So we look at verse 24. If we're gonna guard our heart, because from it flow the springs of life, that wicked heart that may flow forward comes out in speech, in thoughts, in words that we then mention. And a good heart flows forward in good words and encouraging words. And that indicates to us that our heart is in a good spot. So when you find yourself saying things that are mean, that are wicked, that are evil about other people that you shouldn't be saying, guard your heart because that came from somewhere inside you. It didn't just appear. It flows from your heart through your thinking process so that it comes out of your mouth. The heart meaning not the beating muscle that's within your chest, but that wellspring of your inner being, those thoughts. And you're to guard that so that you don't let that be corrupted so that the speech which comes forward is glorifying to God. Be an encouraging person, not a discouraging person. Guard your heart. Put away crooked speech. Put away devious talk far from you. Put away the locker room talk. It's not becoming of Christians. Put away the profanity. It doesn't impress anyone. It shows your heart. And it shows a lack of other vocabulary words that are better. Guard your heart. And then guard your eyes. Look at what you look at, what you watch. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and let your gaze be straight before you. Now, this doesn't mean that we put blinders on as they do with some of the racehorses so they can't see or be distracted. But it does mean that we don't allow the things of the world to distract us, either going to legalism on one side or going to extreme freedom on the other side. We make sure that we're pursuing Christ, that we are running our race looking only to him. So we watch. We are careful as to what we look at because what goes in affects our heart and we guard our heart with all vigilance. Is what you're watching helpful to your spiritual walk or does it cause you to stumble? If it causes you to stumble, don't watch it. Don't look at it. Don't focus on it. Be wise. Verse 26, your walk. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, but turn your foot away from evil. Other scripture indicates this to us too. Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know it. Our eyes look and indicate where we want to go. You see it. You know that your eye often looks at the things you desire the most. And that's what you look at the most often. So God has given you an indicator of your heart, which you may not be able to see, to tell you you're in dangerous territory with warning signs flashing, or you're in a pretty good spot right now. Keep going down the way of wisdom. Don't ignore those warnings. You know where you are. Deal with God in those things. To say it another way, make sure that the gospel is the apple of your eye. If someone were to look in your eye at the reflection of what you're seeing, what would they see? To put it another way, if you do gymnastics or if you do martial arts or anything of that nature, where the head goes, the body follows. So if you're learning to cut a flip or learning to roll, you say where the head goes, the body follows. If you're looking to throw somebody down to the ground, where the top of the head goes, the body will follow. It just has to happen that way. We're not going to do an illustration on stage today, but it has to happen that way. Where your eye goes is where we tend to go. So guard 
what you look. Ponder the paths of your feet. State it another way. In the Sam Alberry version, mind the gap. If you've been to Britain all over, you'll see mind the gap. The space between the subway and the side. Mind the gap. Mind your gap. Watch your step. Ponder your path. Give careful thought. Carefully consider your path. Do not stray, neither to the right or to the left. Do not drift into the trappings of legalism. Beloved students, there is no magic formula for walking with God. Read it. Meditate on it. Day after day, one step at a time, pursue the way of wisdom. It is a continuous journey. Get wisdom, get insight, guard your heart. If you feel sick or puny, follow the commands here in Proverbs chapter 4. Get wisdom and use the way of wisdom to guard it all of your days. That is our main idea. Get wisdom and use it to choose the way of wisdom and guard it all of your days. Then you'll get wisdom. You'll choose the way of wisdom. And by all means, guard your heart. Dear Lord, I pray for all of us today that you would help us to do just that. Get wisdom, use it to choose the way of wisdom, and guard it all the days of our life so that we may live lives not for our glory but for yours in a way that is honoring to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.